I care uh, deeply about the words that I use. And so uh, this morning I have uh, written the prayer and asked that the Lord would receive it. <laughs> Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, for this day, the Lord's day. We are here to worship you and to fellowship with people who are important to our lives and important to our worship and service of you. It is the intention of our living to honor your son, Jesus Christ. May everyone around us sense the presence of Jesus Christ in us and his love toward us reflected back <coughs> to them. As a group, we are a demonstration of the body of Christ. As Paul relates to us, we are many parts, but one body. We who are gathered here are many different individuals with many different perspectives, but yet we are one body. While we may on occasion make judgments about people and their interpretations of scripture or significant matters related to scripture, we do not and we may not express condemnation on anyone for anything. We may recognize and debate our different understandings, but preserve us from allowing those differences to become divisions. May the grace that God displays to us in salvation be the same grace that we display to persons who are different from us and be the same grace that we display to those with whom we have differences. While we are bound in unity to you and one another, we are aware that we are not at all the same, nor do we see all things the same. In our discussions and our attitudes, help us to be sensitive to the impact of our words on those for whom this is a very personal and perhaps <coughs> emotional matter, even though we may not know it. We don't know what lies ahead of us for the United Methodist Church, or for Muncie, or even for the Virgil Anderson Sunday School class. But we pray that this class would lead as spiritual examples of mature faith in Jesus. I also ask you to provide our dearly loved and deeply appreciated teacher Phil with great wisdom and even greater grace on this day. All of this I pray in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, whose ultimate approval we all seek. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Dave. I was actually going to start by praying today, but God already took care of that, and I'm grateful. So, thank you. And thank you for being here. Um, if you weren't here last week, um, maybe you're here because you heard about last week. Um, maybe you don't know what you walked into, but given Michael Lester's 
comments and that prayer, you might be wondering what you're stepping into. Um, but just very briefly, uh, just to kind of recap why, why we're talking about this, other than it comes up in the social principles. Um, unless, unless you've been under a rock, you, you know that the United Methodist Church is at a crossroads, at least what feels like one to many people. And it's a deeply divisive matter uh, for a lot of people. And part of what the United Methodist Church is trying to decide, and part of what different congregations and conferences are trying to decide is, can we continue to be the United Methodist Church? Right? Can we continue to be together? Or are our differences around uh, human sexuality going to divide the church, um, openly divide the church? And I'm one of those people, I didn't grow up a United Methodist, and I know many of you didn't. I also know many of you did. Um, but I've been part of Muncie for long enough now to where this whole situation deeply grieves me, and I know it probably grieves many of you, if not all of you. And many days it just, it feels paralyzing. It just feels paralyzing, like what can we do? Um, what should we do? And I don't know, it feels like to me that you know, in, in families, when it feels like a crisis comes, you, you gotta talk. Uh, maybe your family situation is different than mine, but I have very few experiences when things are really difficult that somehow not talking about them makes them better. Just ignoring them, hoping they'll go away. This is not going to go away. And so all we tried to do last week, and really all we're trying to do today is we're not, we're not trying to resolve the issue for any one of you. Uh, we're not trying to resolve the issue for the Virgil Anderson class. We're certainly not trying to resolve it for Muncie or United Methodist Church. It's much too big for that. All we tried to do last week and all we're trying to do today is to see why the family ought to be talking. That there's something to talk about. And that's, that's not a small thing. That's not a small thing. Because there are some people in the family who honestly, sincerely, truly follow the way of Jesus, care deeply about Scripture, and believe that there really isn't anything to talk about. And I think we have to respect that. I think we have to respect that. There are other people in the family who think that there is something to talk about and wrestle with. And I think we have to respect that. And the question is, can we still be a family and differ about that or not? Or is that, is that the end of the family? Is the family going to have to divide over this matter? That's really where we are. At least that's what it feels like. And it may be I've misnamed that. But that's, from where I stand, that's what it feels like. And so all we're trying to do is have a conversation these two weeks about why some people think there needs to be a conversation. 
that's really all we're trying to do. Because unless we can see why they're, unless we can agree that some of the family are not somehow less Christian for thinking there is something to be talked about, and unless we can also agree that the people who think there really isn't anything to talk about, that they're also our brothers and sisters, unless we can come to a place like that, then I don't know how we can even talk. So that, that's all we're trying to do, <laughs> which, you know, when you think about all the things we could be talking about are all the different levels. Um, at one level, it's a pretty modest aim. Um, but that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy because people feel deeply about this. Uh, for, for a lot of people, this is not just one issue among others. It feels deeply, deeply personal for lots of different reasons. Last thing, and then we're going to try to figure out how to move forward today because I don't have a huge agenda um, because I don't want to be the only voice around here. That would seem to, uh, you know, if you have a family and only one person gets to speak, then it feels like other people are being silenced. And so on something where people feel so strongly about this, I don't want to do that. But I realize that that itself makes people anxious, right? Um, but I, I'm trusting, and I have prayed this week, and I suspect you have too, I'm trusting that God will do something important in our life today. I don't, I don't know that I'll see it today, I don't know I'll see it next week. I'm just trusting that God will use this conversation for our good and the good of the church. That's my prayer, and I'm hoping it's your prayer too, uh, whatever happens. Okay. So, so one thing we didn't... I mean, one way of thinking about this, just to kind of, again, I said I didn't grow up United Methodist, and so um, it wasn't until I was in seminary, actually, just, um, actually in graduate school, uh, which was the United, United Methodist uh, graduate school um, in university, that I, that I heard of the Methodist quadrilateral. I didn't hear about that. Um, and I was taken by that. It seemed like there was something wise about that. And we talked about it when we first started the social principles. And just to review, right, that the, the, the Methodist quadrilateral says that when Christians are trying to sort through, you know, what God is saying, what God is doing, how to understand, how to read scripture, how to sort through what's required of Christians, that we sort of try to hold and they often are intention, try to hold intention for things. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And I think part, part of the family tension is that is trying to work through different ways that people put those together. Right. As we said last week, um, and I don't think, I mean, I think most people agree about this, it, it looks to a lot of people, a lot of faithful Christians, as though scripture and tradition line up pretty clearly that same-sex relations has no uh, backing in scripture 
or the tradition. Right? That there isn't any where you can turn in scripture and say in any kind of obvious place that every time relationships between same sex or same gender, it seems to be prohibited in the scripture. It seems to be pretty clear. And the history of the church is largely the same way. And so for a lot of people, those two things together just seem to me, to, for them, it's, that's enough. And that's understandable. That, that's, that is a weighty testimony. There's no doubt about that. And that's, that's exactly why the social principles in their current form say what they do. Right? And I'll just read it to you because we didn't read it last week. Let me just read it to you. This is the current edition. We affirm that all persons are individuals of sacred worth, created in the image of God. That's the interesting, the first thing they say in this paragraph. This is on page 28. Um, don't need to look at it, but if you trust me to read it. All persons need the ministry of the church in their struggles for human fulfillment, as well as the spiritual and emotional care of a fellowship that enables reconciling relationships with God, with others, the self. The United Methodist Church does not condone the practice of homosexuality and considers this practice incompatible with Christian teaching. Okay? I'll just read it again, because this is, I mean, the United Methodist Church does not condone the practice of homosexuality and considers this practice incompatible with Christian teaching. We affirm that God's grace is available to all. We will seek to live together in Christian community, welcoming, forgiving, and loving one another as Christ has loved and accepted us. We implore families and churches not to reject or condemn lesbian and gay members and friends. We commit ourselves to be in ministry for and with all persons. So that's, that's the current, and as you know, um, one of the questions is if and how that's going to be rewritten. And for a lot of people, for many, many United Methodists, um, given what we said about scripture and tradition, there, there isn't re any reason to rewrite that. And so the question is, what do those who think there's something to talk about think? And that's what we tried to talk about last week. We tried to just make a modest case for why some people think that there may still be, regardless of the preponderance of scripture and tradition, there might still be reason. And that has to do with what some people would take to be reasons from reason and experience. And so those are things like, people's experience, and I'm sure we may hear some from today, people's experience that um, in their experience with gay and lesbian people, they too, many times, if I mean, people we're talking about, are consider themselves to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, they love Jesus like you do and want to be faithful to Jesus like you and I do. And the judgment of many people is that the Spirit seems to be at work in their life. And that's, that, seems, that also seems weighty. I mean, if it were the case that I could look at someone and say, well, that just doesn't look like I can see the Spirit of Jesus at work in your life. But people's, at least some people's experience is that they do see this person as a, not only a child of God, but also a person who seems to have their life animated 
by the Spirit of Jesus. Um, not perfectly, because mine's not perfectly animated by the Spirit of Jesus either. So the question is, you know, no one's saying that they're a perfect exemplar of Jesus, and I hope no one is trying to say that of me. But that has, that has raised the question, right? And in, in the same way that, um, give one example and then we'll open up for other comments, questions. We'll start with questions. Um, I grew up in a tradition uh, that did not let women preach. Um, I, I'd never heard a woman, a woman preach consistently until I came to Muncie. Um, I didn't have huge objections to it, but I, I knew I came from a tradition that didn't allow it, and most of the churches in my tradition still don't allow it. It's a very rare woman who's allowed to preach uh, and teach men in, in my tradition that I grew up in. Okay. Um, and and there are scriptural reasons for that, right? It's not like people just woke up one day and said, let's oppress women. Um, there's some pretty clear teaching in the New Testament about that, which people take very seriously. And so, even though I, ha I didn't have a settled view about it, I mean, I was a little conflicted about it um, for years, but what shifted my own thinking about it wasn't that I woke up one day and started reading scripture differently or even looked at my tradition differently. It was that I, could, I had a very hard time denying my experience of women pastors at Muncie who preached and seemed to be the voice of God in my life. And I had a hard time denying that. And I, and I couldn't find any reason to deny it. I couldn't find myself saying, well, it looks like or it feels like that God is working, but God can't be working through them because they're a woman. And so, does that mean I just throw out those scriptures? No, it means I have to go back and sort through, like, well, what do I do with that scripture? I just can't cancel it out. And so, and so then there's the conversation, right? And so, for a lot of people, it's the experience that raises the need for the conversation. That doesn't say we throw out the scripture, it doesn't say we throw out the tradition, it just says, it seems like it opens a space for us to talk. Are, are we sure? Are we sure? Can we be sure that those who might be in committed same-sex relations cannot be used of God and cannot have the spirit of Jesus alive and at work in them? And again, that doesn't answer all the questions. It's just a place to start. And so for a lot of people, that's been one of the things that has pushed them to at least think about why Christians need to talk about this before it becomes absolutely divisive. And if it, and if it becomes too late to go back, right? Um, it's really, I mean, I believe in God, so I believe God can heal brokenness and even division after the fact. But I'd rather we talk, try to talk as honestly as we could ahead of time. So that's why we're talking about this. Um, believe me, I, I don't take any great pleasure uh, in this. Um, 
those of you who know me and have heard me talk know that I am conflict averse. <laughs> I just am. Um, but I care about the church more. I, I care about the church more than my lack of comfort in this conversation. So I'm here not because I want to be, but I'm here because I care about the church. And I think you're here because you care about the church. And so I don't want to have the first word, the last word, the only word. I just, I just want to frame what we're doing, what we're not doing. And I also want to give people a chance to ask questions, places, not that I'm sure I can give the answer. Maybe other people have reflection. And we're not, and we're not gonna, you know, tidy it up in a bow today. I know that. But I, I do want to give chance for other people to ask questions because this is hard. This is really hard. And, and I want us to acknowledge that. But I'm grateful that you're here and you're willing to listen to one another. Um, I was going to read the, the rules for holy conferencing. I hope you tuck that in your book. Um, but I, I won't. Um, I'm just trusting that you'll, you'll remember these very, very powerful reminders about how to listen and engage with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So with that, I'm going to turn the mic. The, the, there it goes. There I go. So let's start with questions, and then we'll, we'll move to yeah, other things. So. Oh, it's not working. Is it turned on? Help me. Help me, Judy. The green light is not on, Phil. Well, it's not. I did put the batteries in it while we're working on that technical difficulties Judy I'm going to pull the cord I don't want to trip you yeah okay let's try this thank you I have two boys, and when they were in high school, they had a very dear friend who is gay. And he ran around with my boys and friends. He has been gay for, as far as I know, all of his life. Um, he said that when he was very young, he knew he was different. Are they born that way? Are they raised that way? He has no interest in girls, and as far as he knew, he never had. He he's, enjoys being around a group of people, but he had no interest in dating girls. Or, I mean, he would run around with girls in his group, but as far as dating girls, that was never his interest. <coughs> But he was, he was fun to be with, he was great in a crowd, but not dating. Yeah, thank you. And those of you who've, who've read about this and sort of know about the state of the 
that this is a question about reason, right? What, what does science tell us? Um, what do we know about genetic predispositions? Um, and, and none of that actually settles the question, just to be clear. Um, it's just one piece of it. Um, I mean, someone might say, well, I mean, one, 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 one group of people might say, well, if the science uh, is, shows that um, people are this way, then how can we condemn them? Other people might say, um, well, just because you have a, a genetic predisposition, I mean, you might be, have a pre, uh, genetic predisposition to a lot of things, right? You might have a genetic predisposition uh, to alcohol which seems to be the case, some people do, right? Um, so that doesn't solve the question, um, but it is a piece of it. It is a piece of it to ask. Um, when I've talked to my, my gay brothers and sisters, um, one of the things that they have told me is, is a lot of them grew up in very, very conservative churches. And they've told me, look, I, I, a lot of people tell me that I chose this, but believe me, I wouldn't choose this if I could. I, I, I prayed to God all my life to take this away, and it's not going away. And I, I, don't, I don't want this, right, in the sense that it would be a lot easier to be a Christian if I were different. But I, I, I'm not. And so they struggle. They struggle. A lot of them struggle with that. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. One of the things that I think we have to be really... Um, sensitive about when we're talking with our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters is what we assume about to what extent it's their choice. And you should also know just that there's a whole group of gay and lesbian Christians who, who believe they've been called to be celibate. Just to remind ourselves that not all gay and lesbian Christians even engage their own sexuality the same way they don't. Right? A lot of them choose to remain celibate just like I have a beautiful young woman who I taught 25 years ago, um, who's an extraordinary Christian woman who was married and is divorced, and she she won't get remarried because she thinks Scripture is pretty plain on that. So she's committed to remaining celibate the rest of her life because of what Scripture says, and I have to respect that, right? I have to respect that because she thinks that's a clear, expressed teaching of Jesus, and so. Um, she would love to get married, but she doesn't think she has that option. So pe people are, you know, different places here. But that's a really, it's an important question, and it's a sensitive one. Other questions? Yes? Could you refresh my memory on exactly what the church wants to change? You mean the United Methodist Church? Right. Yeah. Um, I'll do my best. I'm trying not to make it about that because I'm just trying to figure out why we're having the conversation. But best I understand, the question is going to be, um, and there's there, my understanding is there's three proposals right now um, that are going to come up uh, in February. Um, and, and those questions are about how the church is actually going to deal with it. Uh, but the question is whether in that passage, in the in this whether the United Methodist Church will take out that passage about homosexuality being incompatible with Christian teaching. Okay? 
Let's just, just let's leave it at that. I'm not saying that's the only thing. But one of the proposals is they're going to take out the, that the issue of whether homosexuality, just the sort of blanket statement that homosexuality is incompatible with Christian scripture. Right? Uh, and to use the example we used last week, in the same way that the United Methodist Church no longer holds that remarriage is incompatible with Christian scripture. It says very clearly in that very same section of the social principles in the current that divorce does not preclude remarriage. Although in scripture and tradition, it did. I, I, Please. I really don't want to speak up. I just no. want to relax. I know. <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. I apologize. It's not working. No, let me have you. Go ahead. I, I just want to um, mention that too often when we talk about this social principle, we leave out the word that is most pronounced in there. And, and I think it's important to include that word, which is the word practice. Oh. Yeah, thanks Dave. So the, the, the difference between um, sort of homosexual orientation and practice, right? And so for a lot of people that's, I mean, I think for everybody that's an important distinction. Right, uh, that a lot of Christians believe that someone that you can't and shouldn't um, judge someone's orientation, uh, but the prohibition is against homosexual practice. Okay, um, and, I, and I appreciate uh, appreciate that. Um, it's important thing. It's important distinction uh, to keep. Again, different people disagree or are having a conversation about. How to think about that, but I think it's an important thing, uh, important thing to say. And it, and I, no, I don't think anyone has seen, at least I haven't, a draft of what the new social principles on this section is going to be. Uh, we've seen how the social principles have been, you know, rewritten potentially drafts of other sections, but we haven't seen this. Um, yeah, so that's, so that's, that's one thing as far as I know, is, is, is being the conversations about whether to take out, and I don't know what's going to replace it, right? I don't know what's going to replace it, but to, to alter the sort of clear <coughs> decision about homosexual practice. I, I want to read it, make sure I get it right. The practice of hom do not condone the practice of homosexuality and considers this practice incompatible with Christian teaching. Okay. The question is, should that be rewritten to, to eliminate the sort of what some people take to be a blanket condemnation of that? Which doesn't mean there can't be homosexual practice that's perverse, right? Or non-life-giving. The question is, is all homosexual practice Forbidden, and that's the question. That's that's the conversation, and, and to be clear, some people think there's no conversation to have, and some people think there might be reason to keep having the conversation. So there's, you have a question. You still got a question? Got a comment. Got a comment. Brief. 
No. Ha ha ha, now I got it. Just try and get it. I got scored. Oh, uh oh, still squeezing again. Stand up, Linda. Getting shorter and shorter. I would like to also suggest that there's a difference between condone and accept. And I had to work with my aunt for several years to accept the fact that I chose to work with her. That my first cousin came out at age 60. She had been married. She had a daughter who is a doctor. And my aunt, being the daughter of a minister, a Methodist minister from Mississippi, just couldn't get past it. And I did my best to keep saying, Aunt Martha, condoning and accepting the reality are two different things. Anyway, we made a breakthrough, and I want to tell you that the last four years of my aunt's life, she moved to California at age 90, because I moved out of Memphis to marry Lou, which in some people would say was adulterous, but get over it. <laughs> uh, so that's one thing. I also, I love God's timing. Some of you, sorry Phil, some of you may have seen, a lot of you know Kevin Cole. He had an article in the paper yesterday. Is that you? <laughs> Where he quoted Aristotle as saying, it is the mark of a mature mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it, which I thought was helpful for people who are having a hard time accepting it. Wait a minute, I know you wonder where I'm going. <laughs> All right, Phil's visual aid is his hair. <laughs> I don't have his hair, I wish I did. But I want to share with you, and a number of you saw this Wednesday night, but it meant the world to me. Trish Patterson, again, most of you know her, lawyer, bright, she and Phil are two of the best teachers I have ever had. And on Wednesday night, she showed us a colander. And she said, the Bible is a book. It is God's communication to mankind. And I have asked Dave and Joyce to correct me if I don't interpret this right, because they were there. So the Bible goes into a calendar. Many issues come out, many things drain out. And it is okay to wrestle, and you used the word wrestle this morning, with those issues. It is not unchristian to wrestle with those issues. But there are two things that always stay in the calendar. Love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and love your neighbor. So that's where, when I don't understand 
Number one, I don't have to understand anymore. At 80, I used to think, I mean, before that, I used to think I had to figure it out. I don't. God is the one who is going to judge all of us. And so I'm glad we're having this discussion. This is not a question. I just wanted to share that with you. Also, it came upon me that I used to think forest fires were devastating. You know, they scared me. They were just awful. Until I read where people who were educated in it said, it's natural. A lot of it is natural. And out of that, out of a forest fire comes new growth. So I don't scare, I mean, it doesn't scare me. If Muncie split, I've been through that in the Presbyterian Church. If the Virgil Anderson class split over on any issue, we would grow, we would all grow. So, thank you for having this. No, I'm not. <laughs> thank you for keeping it brief. <laughs> Yes. <coughs> Who was that? You can ask it. I'm not going to have time to answer it, but you may, you may ask it. Okay. Go right ahead. We'll, we'll see if this it's working. It's working. Does it? Get it closer to the mouth. So I totally agree. I totally agree. The Westland quadrilateral really helps us uh, expand our thoughts when dealing with things in the scripture. But uh, the UMC website, the United Methodist website, actually makes up a good point that out of those four scriptures, the strongest base for which we use tradition and experience and reason. And um, I'm starting to delve into Wesley's uh, writings and I'm really enjoying how he reasons through things and how he uses tradition and how he uses experience to come up with many of his writings, <coughs> which are never succinct, but very insightful and very educational. One of the things that I want to pose to the, to the group is if we find divide and if we find difficulties with the issue of homosexuality and we successfully reason through it that we should condone it as well as forgive it, my concern is, what's the next sin in scripture that we're gonna go to and say, it's okay? In other words, what the Bible tries to teach us is to be humble and that none of us are capable of judging one another. <clears throat> we are only going to be judged. There's only one judge. None of us in the room are that judge. For that reason, if we start picking and choosing which of those sins in that book that we call the Bible is no longer a sin, and we promote them, where do we end? I do not, I embrace the conversation we're having with homosexuality. I have a homosexual sister. I love her. I hug her. 
we are the closest siblings of a very troubled family. I will never scorn her for her homosexual ways, but I don't condone it. I don't promote it. I have strong feelings where in her path she was led to that conclusion. I accept it, and I love her, and I will not let anyone in this room try to change my mind why I love her. But in so much that my wife has shared and taught me what the Bible has really been trying to say, and through my own experience now in reading the Bible and reading William Barclay, reading Wesley's writing, Wesley's writings, I'm starting to become, I'm starting to grab my own picture as to what's sin and what's not according to the Bible. I think it's been my foundation all these years in my adult life. It is what helps me, whether you want to call it the Holy Spirit or whether you want to call it as something as character. My question to the group is, if we basically find this issue divisive, what's the next issue? What's the next, what's the next uh, problem that we're having as, as Methodists? I love Wesley's teachings of including everybody, including the sinners, including those who make mistakes. Forgive them, put your arm around them, and love them. What I'm having trouble with is you still have to recognize what is a sin. And is this not a sin? So that's my question. Thanks, Jeff. I'll let you have the last word rather than, although I'll pray. That's okay, because we're out of time. I have a question. Next, next week, may we just limit to questions and not commentary? Next week, we're going to move on because we promised that we would. And so, not, there's more conversation to have. I hope you'll keep talking with each other. I mean, this was an attempt to try to give you permission to talk, and I hope you will. And not just talk to people who already believe what you believe. That's the easy thing to do. I like talking to people who think like me, because they're right. <laughs> right? Um, but, but, but I rarely grow by talking with people who already think what I think. So, let's pray. Gracious God, we would just ask that you would take our conversation this morning uh, for what it stirs in us, for what it uh, troubles in us, for the questions and doubts that it raises, uh, for the anxiety and fears that it creates. I, think, I, I pray you would take all of that and somehow do something good with it uh, for, for us as people, for us as a Sunday school class, and for us as Muncie Church and as part of your body of Christ. Um, pray that we would not take anything that we've heard today from anyone and think less of them, think less of them as a brother and sister in Christ. I pray that we would be grateful for their courage in speaking up. Um, and pray that we would continue to be open to what you may want to teach us about all of this, about what it means to be the body of Christ and to, to be in this family and pray that we would be committed to this family. And so we offer up 
our uh, stumbling efforts to try to listen and to try to be faithful and pray your blessing on us and on our witness in the world. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Phil, for uh, leading us today in that. Um, let's be quick. We're almost out of time. Uh, visitors?